Good morning. Welcome to Southside today. We're delighted to see you. Um, quick reminder, if you have started your income tax return, you'll be going, oh, I made my receipts from church. They are in your mailbox. And so it helps us a lot if you will pick up your uh, receipts and then we won't have to mail them out to you. But we will if you don't pick them up, but they are there and ready for you to pick up. Uh, we are looking forward to our annual general meeting next Sunday. And one of the functions of that meeting is that um, we elect elders. And so we're going to give you a chance this morning just to meet uh, the, the nominee for eldership. And just as Mayreg makes his way over here, um, our children's program is beginning from the get-go this morning. So Pastor Brian is doing his happy dance at the door. And if you are supposed to be out in the kids' program, make your way out there. And we'll see you back in here a little bit later in the service. So this is Mayreg. And we're delighted to have you and Fitzum and your family in the church for the last year or so. Um, yeah, I think we, that's live. Just keep talking and they'll figure it out. Oh, okay. There we are. So I'm, I'm just going to ask a battery of questions because probably most people here know you to see you. Maybe a few have had some conversations, but we don't know you tremendously well. So, so you were not born in Canada. Tell us where you were born and a little bit about what that was like. What was your growing up period like? Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm sorry I was not here last week. I think that's the time you announced it, I think. Yes. About my, yeah, okay. So, um, our background is from Ethiopia, and I was born in an ancient city, which used to be the capital city of Ethiopia. You probably know the story of Queen Sheba in the Bible. So the ruins of that, that uh, palace is where I was born in. That was the, the city I was born in. Spiritually speaking, it's a very important city in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church because that's where Christianity entered to Ethiopia. That's where we also claim that Moses' Ark, the true Ark of Covenant, is also found in, in, in that town. Have you seen it? Uh, well, do, you, do you know it's there for <laughs> sure? <laughs> um, as, as a child, I, I grew up um, taking food to the custodian. The custodian is not allowed to get out of the building. Nobody enters into the building, including the Pope of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. So he's an isolated person. He is not allowed to meet anyone. But as children, we used to take pride of taking him food, especially during holidays. So that's, the, uh, that's where I was born in. I am the eldest of six children from my parents, from one father and one mother, of course. And um, it's a, a very um, ancient city and also from religion point of view, uh, it is, is conservative, very conservative. And the Ethiopian Orthodox Church considers that city as a holy place next to Jerusalem. That's, that's at least the status. So growing up, uh, I grew up with a spiritual influence, of course, until I was nine years old. Then when I was nine, a communist government took over and life changed completely. Both for the church, the church became relegated. Uh, prior to that, the church and the state were all uh, almost the same. But then the church became an official enemy of the communist government. And as children, 
we were brown, brainwashed to believe that God is for those who can't uh, reason rationally and for those who are not educated. And as a child, if you grow up with that mindset, uh, you tend to believe what we hear. So spiritually, we were not practicing, I would say. So overall life was a bit difficult after the communist government. Uh, property was confiscated from the middle class and the rich, and my parents were affected by that. So I had to support my parents half a day, and then half a day I used to go to school. On one hand, I consider myself as fortunate, and I would say God protected me, because I was five years younger than the generation before me who suffered under the communist government. Uh, if I was in high school, by the time I was in elementary school, um, then I would have joined either the government force or the rebel force, and I would have been engaged in fighting. You wouldn't have seen me probably if that was the case. So I think I am um, fortunate, I would say, for that, for that generation. A generation uh, that was before me almost died in those 17 years of fighting. The church was persecuted, it went underground, life was difficult as a child. But anyway, I was able to finish high school. All six of us were able to go to school. My parents managed to do that. That's why I'm here. And what about your faith? Did it uh, stay true during those years or? Mm, it was difficult as, as a teenager. We were not allowed. People were persecuted and, and they, they went to prison for believing in what they believe in. So it was difficult. I started thinking and pondering about religion when I joined university, the capital city. Uh, back home, it's only one religion. There were Muslims. They were not allowed to build a mosque. And until today, they don't have a mosque where I grew up. So it was only one. But when I went to university, there was diverse kinds of religion. Even the Christian church itself it had different denominations. So I, tasked, I was challenged by uh, the Protestant and uh, Pentecostal believers who were at the university then, despite the fact that they were persecuted and they went underground, but they were active. Because the university was kind of um, protected from the intrusion of the government somehow. It has some level of independence. So we were allowed to think and to talk uh, so I started knowing about Christians. I was also encouraged by the Protestant uh, students who used to go out in the morning to witness Jesus Christ on the streets. If they were caught, they would be charged and they would go to prison. But they risked their life uh, to do what they did then. So that encouraged me and started thinking. I said, what do I think? And am I ready uh, to, to be persecuted and to risk my life for what I believed in? But Later on, um, I finished school, worked for the government for a while, and I was sent to Indian Institute of Technology in India for my postgraduate studies. That was where I met Jesus Christ as my personal savior. India is a country of contradiction, so I saw the scientists and the professors who are respected worldwide, some of them, I saw them worshiping for what they believed in, for their gods, and I asked myself, who am I? And education uh, and religion, after all, is not probably for the not so educated, because these were scientists. So that started the conversation in my mind. 
The university had around 10,000 community. We were 20 or 25 Christians. Most of them came from southern India. The others from the north, from Assam, and the rest of us were foreigners. So we started gathering, and the, the group leader for that Christian group was uh, a Protestant guy, and he started criticizing some of the traditional Orthodox Church practices and in other churches. So I started asking myself, ah, I need to start reading the Bible and challenge this guy. And I opened my first Bible then in uh, 1990. Uh, we were not allowed to open a Bible in Ethiopia. The Ethiopian Orthodox doesn't also encourage Bible reading because they think the Bible is for the clergy because the layman could misinterpret it so they are not allowed to read it. So I got my first Bible, dedicated my second vacation, I think, and started reading the Bible. I think God used that opportunity to, I think, turn my, my thinking around. Uh, so, yeah, long story short, I went to a church and I was baptized in, in Calcutta huh? uh, in 1990. Well, of course, traditionally, we are also baptized at 40 days, mm -hmm. according to the Orthodox Church. But that was my decision now, believing in Christ and deciding to follow him. I got baptized, and that's, that's a journey. And this is a very important question I want to ask you about this lovely lady who's sitting over there. <laughs> but what were you studying in, at school? Um, I, I studied natural science, applied physics for my first degree and my second degree, and I came back to Ethiopia to study. Um, joined the organization. She was also working for the same organization, and that's where we met. Ah, so that's the question. <laughs> so Fitzum is your wife, and you met her working for which organization? Uh, ge geological Survey. We were working for Geological Survey, mapping for minerals and water resources. That was what I was doing. And so when were you married? 1994. There was a fellowship of the organization. This is after the end of the communism. Uh, so we had fellowship for the organization, and that's where we met, and from time to time we used to gather together. So I saw her, and that's uh, the beginning of the story. <laughs> <laughs> and the story continues with some daughters. Yes. Tell yes. us about them. Um, we have three uh, uh, beautiful daughters. I think you know the, the young one. She still comes with us. The two are in university. One is at Brock University. She's in her final year. Second one is at Waterloo. And the third one is 10th grade. She will soon go also. <laughs> so they, 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 they grew up with us. Uh, they, they believe in the Lord. Um, I think two of them are baptized. The other one says, I will be baptized in Israel. So we are waiting uh, for that. <laughs> it's special if you're baptized in Israel, yeah. in the Jordan. <laughs> so what brought you to Canada? Um, we left our country uh, 17 years ago, and I was working for World Vision. Um, the children grew up outside. So they kind of became... Uh, international citizens, I would say, because we worked in four different countries. We couldn't go back uh, to our, our home, and we said our children need a home, and Canada came. We applied for the skilled labor immigration, and uh, we landed in 2014. But we didn't come until 2016. We still were working in, in Kenya and Nairobi uh, when we got our PR. So we love Canada. That's why we came to Canada. <laughs> and what, uh, what is your current occupation and responsibilities? Uh, yeah, I, 
I've worked for World Vision for 22 years now. I probably know World Vision. It's a, uh, an aid agency, a humanitarian organization. And uh, I've worked in management for many years. Uh, and now I'm, I'm, a, I'm working as a program manager, which means I have six projects that I manage, which are being implemented in Africa, but uh, are funded by Canadian government and private corporations in Canada. So I go there from time to time and I manage those projects from this side. In which countries are those projects um, Our background, Ethiopia, and then Congo, Burundi, Angola, Zimbabwe are the countries I go to. So yeah. some folks here are interested in Zimbabwe in the back uh, okay. as well. That's good. Good, good. That's good. Well, thank you, Mirig. And I encourage you to, to make sure you get some time to talk to Mirig and Fitzum. They have great stories to tell. Um, the Ethiopian culture is a lovely, gentle culture. And the religious history that he alluded to, the Ark of the Covenant question, um, the, the views of the Orthodox Church, and um, even now, between the Orthodox Church and the Evangelical Church, landed over here. Um, some very different feelings, just like there are between maybe the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church in some ways. Um, so um, make sure you find some time to talk with them. And uh, he will be on the, the docket next week for you to affirm him uh, to join the elders. So thank you very much, Mayrick. God bless you. Thank you very much. And we're going to jump right into our teaching just now. And I want to read you an exciting passage of scripture. If we were to talk about what um, our dreams might be for the, the movement over in Main Street and think about the wall over on my left, uh, we might think about this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're talking there about the Pentagon, which takes us from this wall and over to that one. And uh, the value there is called personal calling. And when we move over to 200 Main Street, um, I'll, I'll tell you the order of things. Uh, we want to get Sunday right. That, that's going to be our first order of business. We want to get Sunday right for children, uh, for grown-ups, and for youth. And probably the three levels of the building 
um, are what I'm visualizing there, the children upstairs, the adults in the main floor, the youth in the downstairs part of the facilities. We want to get that right. We want to make sure that um, we are a spiritual hotbed um, on Sundays from which everything else will issue. And what, what we sort of want to promise is that we're going to have a restart. We're, we're, we're going to focus on uh, the person of Jesus. So I'm going to teach about Jesus every Sunday. Now, that doesn't mean we won't go to various topics, but they will all relate to Jesus. They will all be anchored in Jesus. So uh, we might, for example, be looking in the prophecy of Isaiah, but we'll be looking at Isaiah's prophecies about the Messiah, and we'll understand them by having Jesus as the main topic of conversation. We may look at what Paul says in one portion of the New Testament, but we'll be looking at what Paul says about Jesus and try to understand how Paul viewed who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Now, the reason for that is that, as we've said before, in, in a generation that has largely dismissed um, church and the trappings of church, we're hard-pressed to find people who resent Jesus, who, who resist Jesus for the most part, folks are interested in talking about Jesus. So what we'd like to do is kind of, uh, in a sense, go back to the beginning and say, suppose we knew nothing about the Christian faith. Where would we start? Well, we would have to start with the person of Jesus. So how about we declare that we're ready to leave a lot of other things aside for the moment and start over with the person of Jesus. What did he do? What did he say? What did other people say about him? What does all of that mean for us? And so Sunday by Sunday, we will do, okay, get ready for this. This is a press release. We're going to call them Sam Talks. All right, so we're taking off on TED Talks. Sam Talks comes from Southside at Maine. All right, so I'm going to judge right now by your response whether that's the stupidest idea I've ever come up with. Oh, we got some thumbs up, all right. Um, and they will be kind of the, the anchor of, of the adult Sunday mornings. And we're going to relate them as well to what our children are learning and what our youth will be learning as, as we press on. As we get that right... Um, and getting it right is something we're talking about a lot. One of the reasons that we've been flipping the order of things sometimes is to see if that's a good way to be doing things. So today we'll teach first, and then Aaron will lead out of the teaching into our, our worship singing so that we're not sort of all arriving and Aaron has to get everybody ready to sing vigorously, um, but hopefully what we talk about will gather our heads so that then our hearts will want to respond by saying, if that's true, if that's what we believe, then we really do want to sing about that and praise about that. So that's the reason that we're working with turning things around in terms of the order of, of things here. So trying to get Sunday morning right. From Sunday morning on, it's a brand new day. From Sunday morning on, um, there is every opportunity that the facilities will offer to us at 200 Main Street. So as you know, we've been looking at everything we're doing and just assessing what we're doing and seeing, is that good for us to continue to do? Should it be changed? How should it be changed? And so on. The thing that is going to be most important to us in all of that is that shape, personal calling. So Ephesians 4.11 um, comes in this glorious passage. 
So this passage is the passage of a conquering king returning from battle. So Paul says, here's what happened. Jesus came as a great conqueror, and he won the battle. And as he won the battle, he returned home, and he gave gifts to his people. So the image of that is that when a king or an emperor or a warrior went to battle, when they won, they took spoils in the battle. And as they returned, they would throw these spoils off of their chariots, off of their horsebacks to all the people who would be gathered along the way to celebrate their victory. And Paul says that's, that's what Jesus did. He won the victory, and the victory we know that he won is the victory over Satan and hell and death. But the gifts that he gave, now here's what's very important for us. Paul says, I want to tell you what the five gifts are that the conquering king lavishly dispensed to his people as he returned from the battle. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Those are the gifts that Jesus lavishly dispensed because he won the battle. And then Paul makes that very practical and says the reason that these are important to us is that that's how the body is built up. That's how ministry is done. That's how the work of service is carried out. So we're going to play that large and hard and say whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing it must be rooted in our understanding of who among us are apostles, who among us are prophets, who among us are evangelists, who among us are pastors, and who among us are teachers. Because when we get that right, we will be tuned with the conquering Savior. We will be using the gifts that he gave us to build the body up and to reach out and do mission for him. So that Ephesians 4 passage is a glorious passage that has not been understood well down through the history of the church. So in the history of the church, generally speaking, we have thought that the first two belong historically, and then the others are practical presently. So historically, there were apostles. Yeah, we know that. That was the foundation of the church. And there were prophets. We know that. They were the foundation of the church. Once they were done... Then we got evangelists and pastors and teachers to run the church. The problem is that that is not what the passage tells us. The passage doesn't qualify and say, and of course you know that the first two don't exist anymore. The passage says, the conquering Savior gave these five gifts. He says, for to each one of us, grace is given. To each one of us, gifts are given. To some apostles, to some prophets, to some evangelists, to some pastors, and some teachers. If you put apostles and prophets in the closet, what do you end up with? You end up with evangelists. So you have people who are trying to convince people that, that Jesus is the Savior and Lord. And you have pastors and teachers who are looking after people and teaching people. But the heart of the church often resides with the apostles and prophets. And so we're proposing, along with a whole wave of understanding lately, that in the church... All five of these gifted people exist, and they are, as I've said before, they are the trades that we own. So if you live in an area where there's new construction, you see all the white cube vans that drive in, and they're the trades people, right? So they're carpenters, they're plumbers, they're drywallers, they're painters, um, and they all drive white cube vans, and a lot of them have the same tools inside the van, but they all have different trades. 
and the trades of the church, like plumbers, electricians, roofers, all of those, the trades of the church are apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, pastoring, and teaching. And every one of you is one of those trades. Every one of you has been given something as Christ has dispensed the gifts. He has given you something that is labeled as one of those trades or one of those gifts. Uh, one of the interesting things is that these days, there's great new scholarship, um, especially because by a guy called Alan Hirsch, who is discovering that these five gifts are actually the DNA of humanity. Um, and so he's taking the position that these are not just gifts in the church, but that somehow or other they represent what God in creation has given, has built into all humankind, which is true to the image of Ephesians 4. Because the spoils of battle weren't spiritual spoils, they were the stuff that the enemy used to have. But Jesus took as spoils and he gave them to us. So it's not a surprise that these five gifts are apparent in the rest of society, in the rest of life, not only in the church. So we find that when we come to Christ, um, what was a gift of entrepreneurship becomes the gift of apostleship. And what it looked like in the world, it kind of continues to look like when, when we get inside the church, except it's redeemed thoroughly and focused entirely on the kingdom of God and, and the mission of God. So as you think about that and continue to think about that, we're going to talk about this next week as well. I challenge you to make sure you know which of the five is your base gift, is your trade. Many times you will have a main one and then another one that kind of hitchhikes with that one. But when you think about yourself and what you love to do and what you're good at doing, your main trade is what you need to identify because... When we talk about what we're going to do after April 1st, we have to ask you, well, what is your trade? Because those of you who are apostles, we will depend on you to imagine new ministries, new approaches that we ought to take. And so let me just quickly run through those five so you can imagine what they are, and you will readily, I think, identify yourself. So... Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are all churchy words, right? They're all kind of theological words. So let's, let's um, take the theology out of them and say, well, what is that? So an apostle is someone who starts things. Now, some people start things and they shouldn't start them. I'm not talking about that. I'm not starting trouble. But there are people who love to imagine and design things. They have ideas, um, you can't stop the ideas flowing. If you have one of those people in a room and there's some discussion going on, when the creative juices begin to flow, that person can't stop coming up with new ideas. And you may say, that is certainly not me because I cannot think of a single new idea ever, right? So that's fine. You must not be one of those. But if you're someone who is visionary, who is creative, who is imaginative, who dreams up things, who starts things, then we need to know who you are because we need you to say, how about this? Suppose we did this sort of thing. Uh, we're going to be right in the middle of Milton. And the, the application of today's talk is a very simple one. June the 2nd is a street festival, right? So we're going to join it. I have no idea what we should do. But the apostles here will certainly come up with some ideas, right? 
So think about that. June 2nd, if you're an apostle, if you're a starter, an innovator, an entrepreneur, then think about what we could do that would be not, you know, what, what, what people expect. So we're not, you probably won't say let's stand and hand out tracts, although that we could do that. But what could we do with tens of thousands of people who will stream past our building. Do you, do you get that? that? Here, cars drive past and don't notice us. That's been our big dilemma, is that we have to explain that we're between the fire hall, which is not even there anymore, and the hospital, um, and we're not noticed. We are going to be right there, so what should we do about that? Secondly, profits. Um, and I, I have a tender heart for profits because they have a hard job to do, honestly. So profits are people who feel they're often people who are in the arts in some way or another, but they're people who are bothered by things, are troubled by things, who see that there's something missing or see that there's some opportunity that's not being taken. They speak truth into community, which is a hard job to do, but we need prophets desperately, and prophets are usually the most reluctant to come forward because they know that it's a hard job. They know that it's, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult calling to, to basically be a critic. You know, so it means you, they, they tune their hearts to make sure that they have sweet spirits and they weigh carefully what they're going to say. Um, but often in the company of other prophets and by examining scripture, they're able to say, I, I think the Lord might want to say this to us these days. In the whole scheme of Western evangelicalism, today is a day when there's a need for prophets more than ever before, perhaps, who can speak truth into what is going on in the church and in society. So prophets, they're the ones that are troubled, and they are the troublers. Um, what, remember that? Here you are, you troubler of Israel. So if you're a legit prophet, you alone are allowed to trouble us. Everybody else is supposed to just play along, okay? <laughs> Apostle, prophet, evangelist, they are the salespeople. And <clears throat> evangelists um, are th the most tunnel-visioned people in the assembly. They can't see anything other than the opportunity to share Christ, to witness. I, I think I told you before about my friend Sylvia. Um, Sylvia is um, a cosmetic surgeon who can't not talk about Jesus and is profoundly disturbed by the fact that other people say they have trouble sharing their faith. She can't believe that and can't understand how that could possibly be true. And I say, Sylvia, it's because you have a gift of evangelism. Nonsense. We're all supposed to be sharing Christ all the time. I go, you have the gift of evangelist. And we need to put some other people around you to just, you know, tone this down a little bit. Like, let's get some pastors near you who can say, you know what, Sylvia? There are other matters to be talking about. So, okay, evangelist comes after apostle, prophet, and evangelist. And pastors are the kindest, nicest people. Everybody loves the pastors. And it's not the job they do, because I know that job doesn't necessarily always draw love and, and all that kind of stuff. But the pastors are the ones who look after their caretakers. They take care of everything and everybody around us, which is critical. So immediately as you put them in the mix, when you have an apostolic leader who is 
you know, just out there waving a flag and calling everybody and then saying, what's the matter? Why don't people, why don't people do this? It's a great idea. And the pastor says, well, let, let's just talk a little bit. You're a little bit harsh sometimes in the way you present that. You're a bit demanding. You're, you're a little bit over-expecting. So just maybe here's a way that we can make it work better for you. Or the prophet. The pastor comes and says, boy, I, th I think what you're saying is true, but it's really hard to hear. And as you say it, I, I don't, this may be a different way to talk about it, or this, these may be some other things to get into the mix so we can hear the word of the Lord that you have to bring to us. And to the evangelists, you know, the pastor might say, um, okay, just try to go one day without sharing Christ. No, you would never, you wouldn't tell them that at, at all, right? But you help, you try to help them understand. Like say, you, not everybody is so able to just talk about their faith. So the pastors are very important. And the more mission is hot, um, the more we get in our own way. And so there is no place where there is a greater need for pastors than in a, a really aggressive movement for Christ. So when we get a hold of those apostolic ideas and we see how that the glory of God is at stake and how much this matters, um, we will get into conflict with one another and we'll need pastors to say, you guys need to get along, right? You guys need to talk this out. Um, the place that I've seen pastors most needed is on mission trips where in a group of people um, when you're doing something that really matters for the kingdom it's funny how um, the rough edges that we have begin to just sort of grate on one another and the pastors come along and say you know what I, let's just pray for a minute about this right apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher and we, we often think of a teacher as someone who's doing this, which, which it is. But teachers are, I don't know a teacher who doesn't have binders. My daughter is a classic teacher, and we are her store for binders, and I keep on telling her, you've, you've been in Edmonton now for six years, and you haven't needed these binders. Can we throw them out? No, 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 you can't throw them out. Because those are my binders for English. Those are my binders for French. Those are my binders for literature. And, oh, goodness me. Teachers are organized, and we need them to come along and say, you know, here's the plan here. Um, here's what's going to happen next, and here's what's going to happen after that. Do you already hear yourself in one of those? I hope you do. Uh, and we'll talk more about them, and I'll also provide you some resources where you can go and do a, a little self-assessment. Um, and, and maybe you do say, yeah, I think I have that base gift, but I think I've also got a bit of this other one. So here's, I've told you before what, what I see myself as, which is that primarily I have a gift of teaching, but the secondary gift I have is of apostleship. So I, I want to teach about new approaches to things. So 200 Main Street, if you don't get it yet, that really turns my crank. And to, to be able to, to take a new approach to teaching and to trying to engage people um, is exciting to me. I, before, um, was in a church where we had three teaching pastors, and all three had the teaching gift as the primary gift or our trade, but we all had a different secondary gift. So mine was apostleship, um, Doug's was pastoring, and Brad's was prophecy. 
So we could all three teach on the same passage and we come out differently because of the secondary gift. So I would apply a passage by saying, so here's what we need to start doing. That's an apostleship thing. Doug would apply the pastor by coming out and opening his arms and saying, do you see what I'm saying to you? And do you see how the Lord, and it's just gentle and kind. And Brad had a prophecy secondary gift, so he would always have a U2 song to sing at the end of it and say, so here's the social conscience aspect of all of this. So when either Brad or I taught, people would say they got hurt, so they'd rather have Doug teach because they didn't get hurt when he taught because he was a pastor, right? So just practically speaking, understanding that meant that when we talked about what we needed to learn as a church, we would ask, well, which pair of gifts would be the best way to teach that to a congregation? And sometimes we got it right. June the 2nd is a street festival. It's right on our doorstep, literally on our doorstep. Our sidewalk is our sidewalk. What should we do? My best idea so far is at least an open house, right? But you tell me, apostles, prophets, evangelists, or pastors, or teachers, what do you think we ought to do? Because every time there is a Milton happening, we better be there. Take that opportunity, right? Apept, what's your trade? What does it say on the side of your cube van? AA apostles, right? Because everybody's always AA plumbers and all that stuff, right? So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the beautiful image of the victory of Christ, um, sending him into this glorious celebration in a processional where he gives away these precious gifts and we are told clearly, explicitly what they are. We're told that we have them so that we can use them to build ourselves up, to build up the church, and to build up the kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Aaron. There we are. We're going to respond by uh, singing a song called Holy Spirit. And uh, I also want to draw your attention to the walls here, our, our memory wall, which I think is getting so full of just wonderful things that we need to share with one another, of um, our past history and just honoring what God has done in this uh, group of people and uh, his faithfulness to us. So please, you'll see the... Um, the cards on your tables and pens, so if anything comes to you, please add to that. I also want to draw your attention to the prayers for our future wall, which we're working on. And I think as we sing this song, um, this song is chock full of amazing phrases that could just be a prayer in itself. So if one of these phrases, as we sing through this song, is something uh, just just jumps off that screen to you and it speaks to your heart, write it down on a card and let it be your prayer for our future as a church. And uh, please add to, to that wall as well. So I'm going to just invite you to stand as we sing this song together and then, and then we'll have the worship team come and join for, for more later. But let's just sing this, this song together.
I think that song can set our hearts to the, the right attitude and the spirit of prayer. The apostles uh, went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray in this manner. So let us pray these words together of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins. We forgive those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you forever. Amen. Formal prayers like this are lovely, and as we sit and we can think about the deep meetings within them. But most of us, when we're praying, when we're at home and we're calling out to God and talking to God, they come from a much deeper place, a place where uh, we're, we're asking God for things that sometimes we don't understand. I can remember in uh, 2013, um, I, my, my late wife had passed and gone home to the Lord. I'd been studying in Bible college, and I was heading off to China, not knowing what to expect or whatever. And I came across a prayer by a Trappist monk called uh, Thomas Merton. It made me realize that I don't have to understand it all, that I don't have to be perfect in my way. But I do, do need to trust in God that he never leaves us or forsakes us. But let me uh, read you that prayer.
says, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself or, and the fact that I think I am following your will does mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I do and what I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I, may, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to leave my, my perils alone. Many of you here can relate to some of that in the circumstances that you're uh, dealing with the we just look at uh, what happened last week with the, with, with the shooting in Florida. And we think of the families affected and, and how it continues to go. And we ask the Lord, Lord, give us wisdom in, in, in what, what we can do when these type of things happen. But we pray for the families, Lord, that are involved, that have been affected by this, who have lost loved ones, whose child may have been involved, or other shootings, for teachers across the U.S. and even in Canada who ask themselves, could that have been me? Who ask the parents, could that have been my child? Lord, give them peace and give them strength in it. God, we pray for those who are uh, facing diagnoses that they're not sure what, what that means or how it will end. God, we thank you that you are with them. Thank you for those, Lord, that can, can rely on you in, in those lonely times where, where they know not where to turn. God, for, for families that are dealing with financial burdens and, and, and challenges. Lord, for our lost ones, those that do not know you, our friends and our families. God, give us the words that we may speak to them, that they come to know you personally that they can come to rely on you, that they can come to praise your holy name. Father, we know that you, you alone uh, are all that we need and that we give you thanks and praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name. At this time, I'd ask uh, the parents to go back and collect your children by the prayer room door. And if the ushers could please come forward and collect and collect the offering.
Please invite you to stand to your feet. And um, this is going to be the party portion of the morning, if that's all right to say, because we got the kids back. We're all back together again. And let's just raise our voices together in honor and praise of our God. We're going to sing. Sorry, I've done a little out of order here. <laughs> I don't want to confuse <laughs> our guys back there. We're going to sing Our God. Our God is greater than we've got. Yes and amen. And we're going to finish with Great Are You, Lord. So let's raise our voices together. Oh, and in case you've noticed, we uh, picked up a traveling musician this morning. This is Peter. <laughs> he's a friend of Christian's, so he's going to join us this morning. Don't be shy if you want to put your hands together. Shine out of the ashes, we rise. 
Thank you, thank you, worship team. How great it is to be able to leave with a song and a melody in our heart of remembering how great our God is. And this week, is, if, if you're the ones who are dealing with things, remember, we just rejoice in who God is, that he is the ever-present God. He is Jehovah Rophe, the great healer, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is all that we need. But you know there's something else that we need? We need each other. Today, as Pastor Ian was sharing on the, uh, on the fivefold gifts, it reminded me that sometimes people say, I don't need to go to church. But you know what? You need to be here because we need all of us. We need each other. And even during the week, we need each other. So I encourage you, reach out to each other. Call each other. Ask for help. And, and, and God will just rejoice with us. May the Lord bless you as you go today. May the peace of God that goes beyond understanding fill your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Have an awesome week. And remember, next Sunday is our annual general meeting. We look forward to you all being here and hearing what the Lord has done as well. God bless and have a great week.